calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hi, I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Hi, everyone. If you can tell by the sound of my voice in that intro, I'm sick, I have a wee bit of a cold, and I sound congested, so I apologize and I understand if you want to skip this episode, but you know what? The show must go on, and I have news topics to discuss, so I'm here no matter what, and I'm happy if you would like to join me. Because I'm not feeling so well, I don't want to go on too long of a spiel at the top of the episode, but I did want to check in with my Patreon listeners because I'm thinking that maybe instead of covering a book this month, I might cover two different documentaries. And I was wondering if that is something that you would be interested in. So if you are a member of the Angry Feminist Book Club and you have any thoughts on that, please reach out and let me know. It's just been a little overwhelming getting all of the book stuff done (laughs) along with all of the other podcasting work that I have on top of it. And while I've really, really enjoyed reading these books and discussing them, it's just becoming a little overwhelming for me and I would love to take a little bit of stress away from my life and that is one of those stressors. I would really like to finish out the year still covering a book. I'm trying to think of the perfect one. If you have any suggestions, please reach out and let me know. But in the meantime, let me know how you feel about covering some documentaries instead of the books for this month. And if you have any suggestions, let me know. But I definitely have one that I am for sure covering. And the other thing that I am going to start implementing on Patreon for the Feminist Faves level is a bit of a recap episode after the full-length episode comes out. Because a lot of times I record an episode and then I listen to it again when I'm editing and I think of more things that I want to say or I'm like, oh, I I left that out. I wish I had said that. Or I'll find something out in research after I'm done with the episode. And I think it would be kind of fun to do a little short recap after I publish each episode. 
and talk about it a little bit. Maybe go over some things I didn't mention. Like with Coco Chanel, there's so many things that she did in her life, but I focused the narrative more on her anti-Semitic behaviors and life with the Nazis during the war and things like that. But she's also credited with popularizing the suntan, which I never mentioned, things like that. So if you're interested in joining the Patreon to financially support the show and me in order to continue to help making it better, or if you just want some extra bonus content, you can go to patreon.com slash angry neighborhood feminist and join the angry feminist book club for $5 a month, or you can become a feminist fave for $8 a month for ad free versions of these episodes. You get them a little bit early usually you get some bonus content now and again and now you will be receiving recap episodes so you can look forward to that all right i think that's all i can handle for a little preamble let's get into today's news topics the first thing that i wanted to discuss is the verdict of the third officer who was arrested for the murder of elijah mclean For those of you who don't remember Elijah, he was a 23-year-old black man who was killed as he walked home from a convenience store. A civilian had called 911 saying that there was a guy in a ski mask flailing his arms looking, quote, sketchy. The caller did make sure to mention, though, that they did not believe that this person was armed or that anyone was in immediate danger. I blame this 911 caller so much. It just infuriates me that someone would make a 911 call because someone is acting weird outside. Do you know how many weird-ass people walk by my L.A. apartment screaming, shouting obscenities, going through my garbage cans, hanging out in my laundry room? Have I ever called the cops on them? No. Actually, once I did call the building manager because I was pretty sure someone was living in my laundry room and I had them deal with it, but... I've literally never called the cops on one of these people. We literally have this guy that walks up and down our block just screaming, fuck, every single night, and we all just accept him. (laughs) He's not hurting anyone. He's just screaming, fuck. And actually, just this morning, I just about pooped my pants because there was someone rummaging through my garbage as I went to throw away Dorothy's poop. And did I call the police on them? No, I did not. I just said, good morning and walked away as quickly as I could. (laughs) So why this person thought that Elijah was a threat at all, enough to call 911, even though they're saying we don't think this person's dangerous, makes no sense to me. Don't call the police. What is your problem? If you're scared, lock your doors. When the officers arrived, they alleged that Elijah resisted arrest and said that they thought he was going for one of their guns. And of course, there is no real proof of any of this as the officers' cameras, according to them, had, quote, fallen off. But I believe there was still some footage from a camera that was left running on the ground or something because I know that there is surveillance of it. And at some point during that surveillance, you can hear someone say, leave your camera there where you can't actually see what's happening. Three officers then held Elijah on the ground for 15 minutes. And in that time, it was painfully clear that Elijah was in distress, yet they did absolutely nothing to stop the pain that they were causing him. He was sobbing, he was vomiting, and he pleaded with a statement that has 
truly haunted me since I first heard it a few years ago. He said to the officers, as they were literally taking the life out of him, I'm an introvert. I'm just different. That's all. I'm so sorry. I have no gun. I don't do that stuff. I don't do any fighting. Why are you attacking me? I don't even kill flies. I don't eat meat, but I don't judge people. I don't judge people who do eat meat. Forgive me. All I was trying to do was become better. I will do it. I will do anything. Sacrifice my identity. I'll do it. You are all phenomenal. You are beautiful, and I love you. Try to forgive me. I'm a mood Gemini. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Ow, that really hurt. You are all very strong. Teamwork makes the dream work. Then he vomited. He then apologized for throwing up and said, I wasn't trying to do that. I just can't breathe correctly. How can you listen to what this man is telling you and continue to hurt him? How can he be so eloquent and honest and beautiful and loving in a time when his life is literally being squashed out of him? How on earth is he showing such love to the people who are actively killing him, who are showing such hatred toward him? These officers responsible for his death just have evil in their hearts. I am sure of it. I don't know what kind of person could listen to what this young man had to say and not have some sort of response to that. I don't understand. To calm Elijah down, paramedics injected him with 500 milligrams of ketamine. At the scene, they estimated his height and weight to be higher, so the level of ketamine that was given to him was much too strong for someone of his size. Elijah was taken away in an ambulance and shortly thereafter pronounced brain dead. He died three days later on August 30th, 2019. After hearing this story, who do you think is responsible for the death of Elijah McLean? In January, the trials for officers Rodima and Rosenblatt occurred, in which both entered pleas of not guilty. Rodima was found guilty in October 2023 on charges of criminal negligent homicide and assault, while Rosenblatt was acquitted of all charges, including reckless manslaughter and assault. Now, this week, Aurora police officer Nathan Woodyard was found not guilty of manslaughter and criminally negligent homicide. When it was Woodyard who held Elijah in a neck hold that rendered him temporarily unconscious. His defense team claims that it wasn't Woodyard's neck hold that killed him, it was the ketamine. And they also claim that Woodyard had actually walked away during part of the confrontation to take a call with his supervisor, that he was not with Elijah as his condition worsened, and that it was the other officers who continued to restrain him. Woodyard even testified himself in his own defense and whined about how he was so scared of Elijah and worried that he would never see his wife and kids again. He claimed that Elijah said something about wanting to take his power back and he had heard another officer saying that he was going for the gun and the guy just got scared. I don't know why we keep hiring all of these very cowardly police officers, but isn't this like their job? Woodyard said that he was overwhelmed on the scene and began to cry and had to ask to take a break, which they allowed. They were like, oh, are you sad? Is this is killing of this man upsetting to you? Yes, please go take a break in your car. Take a little breather. You deserve it, Officer Woodyard. Yes. So he goes to his car and cries some more before returning to the scene. 
In reality, it was Officer Woodyard who reached Elijah first, within eight seconds of getting out of his patrol car, and he made contact with Elijah without introducing himself or explaining why he wanted to talk to him. He immediately went for physical aggression. You, Officer Woodyard, are the one that escalated this entire situation and made it so deadly. Next is the trials of the paramedics, which will begin later this month. I truly do hope that the paramedics are held very much responsible for the amount of ketamine that they injected into this poor young man that led to his death. I truly think that it is a combination of the lack of oxygen that he was receiving and the lethal amount of drugs that he was given for his size. It's just the lack of care that they had for this person is just so staggering to me. And this wasn't a call of someone being violent or breaking into a house or doing anything. I mean, his friends say that the flailing of his arms was just most likely him dancing And the fact that he was wearing a ski mask even in the summer was because he had issues with his blood circulation. Getting to know Elijah's personality just through the media made me feel really connected to him in a lot of ways. He reminds me of the sweet and nerdy theater kids that I grew up with. And the events of his death, like so many others, has really, really stuck with me. When leaving the courthouse after this disappointing verdict, Elijah's mother, Shanine McLean, walked out with her fist raised high above her head. All right, let's step away from some of the sad stuff and get on to something that was surprisingly happy, and that is this week's election results. And boy, it is clear that the members of the Republican Party are shaking in their boots like Ron DeSantis without his lifts after this week's results. The third Republican debate occurred on Wednesday, and the Republicans on the stage had a lot to say. Senator Tom Tillis of North Carolina said, Yesterday, to me, was a complete failure. The biggest failure for the Republicans, and one of the biggest winners for us, was the message sent by Ohio, a red state, where voters have chosen to enshrine abortion rights into the state's constitution. And as soon as I saw this, I thought of friend of the show, Jess. She works so hard in her home state of Ohio to educate and bring awareness to the need for abortion access. And I'm so proud of her for all the work she's done toward this cause. So Jess, if you're listening, I love you. So proud of you. Continue all of the great work that you do. And if y'all haven't listened to the episode that I did with Jess all about stripping, I highly encourage you go find it in your feed and listen to it because it's probably one of my favorite episodes that I've done since being on my own. Senator Mitt Romney didn't seem surprised by this, though, just as other Republicans shouldn't have been either, because as Romney puts it, I don't think it's a big secret. But in many states, abortion is not a winning issue for Republicans. The winning issues are related to the economy and the cost of living. Focusing on abortion didn't turn out to be a big winner. Some Republicans are now thinking it's time to shift focus and find a new strategy for the 2024 election. And on the stage on Wednesday for the debate, it took about 90 minutes before abortion was mentioned at all, a clear sign that they are beginning to switch tactics. Instead, they focused mainly on foreign policy. And much like, I believe, from the first Republican debate, Vivek Ramaswamy really shined. (laughs) He really, really made a lot of waves. 
When discussing the border, the moderator asked, what can you do as commander-in-chief on the first day to stop fentanyl and the waterfall of it into this country? On day one? Jesus. So linking fentanyl to the migration quote-unquote crisis in the United States is now a major right-wing talking point, even though Homeland Security has said that this is unequivocally false. While the other candidates gave the usual spiel about beefing up law enforcement or sending more military to the border, Vivek Ramaswamy took it even further. He says, don't just build the wall, build both walls. He claims that the U.S. received more fentanyl from Canada in the previous year than from Mexico. Therefore, if we want to combat the fentanyl crisis, we should build a wall to shut out Canada too. Fact check, while it is true that fentanyl does enter the U.S. from Canada, it is a minuscule amount compared to the amount that comes from Mexico. The numbers are 14 pounds found in 2022 at the northern border versus 14,100 pounds at the southern border. Little bit different. So the fact that Ramaswamy is trying to make Canada appear like the biggest bad guy in this is just factually incorrect. He then said that he was the only candidate on this stage who's actually visited the northern border, and he argued it was wide open for invasion. Okay, I guess we gotta be scared of Canada now. He also called Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, a comedian in cargo pants and a Nazi, though Zelensky himself is Jewish. Zelensky has actually expressed solidarity with Israel during the current conflict and has sent a request to meet with the Israeli prime minister. He also signed a law in 2021 combating anti-Semitism, so calling him a Nazi doesn't really make much sense. But it seems like he may be echoing Putin's words. As Putin has claimed that Ukraine's government is openly neo-Nazi in order to justify his invasion of Ukraine. The only thing that Ramaswamy said that I liked was when referring to DeSantis, he said, do you want a leader of a different generation who's going to put this country first, or do you want Dick Cheney in three-inch heels? (laughs) This had me dying. I was dead. I made mention of it at the top of this segment, but if you're not aware, there's a bunch of stuff going around on the internet right now about Ron DeSantis wearing lifted cowboy boots and... I gotta say, the boots are weirdly shaped, and I read this Politico article that got three top boot experts, boot-making experts, I don't know, they said experts in the field that say these rumors could very well be true. One shoemaker says that he has actually made height-increasing cowboy boots for a number of Texas politicians, but sadly wouldn't reveal any names. And they say the look of the boot that DeSantis wore is a giveaway to the fact that he probably has lifts inserted into them. I am not meaning to laugh at Ron DeSantis because he is short or even for the fact that he's wearing lifts. Like if you want to wear high heels and be a little bit taller, wear high heels and be a little bit taller. But the fact that he is like going so far to deny this. It's just very funny to me. Just be a short king, Ron. There's nothing wrong with it. 
Although I'm pretty sure I have read some statistic out there that voters typically lean toward the taller candidate, except for Joe Biden and a few others. But that is kind of fascinating. But you know what? Stand true in who you are, Ron DeSantis. Just put some flats on and do your thing. Maybe that'll make you a little bit happier. All right, that's all I have for you all today. My mom is actually in town, so I'm gonna get this episode finished and go spend the day with that lovely woman. If you want to join me for some extra fun and support the show, don't forget to go to patreon.com slash angry neighborhood feminist where you can either join the angry feminist book club while it's still around or you can become a feminist fave. And if you love this show and you haven't yet left a review, I would greatly appreciate you going over to your Apple Podcast app and leaving a five-star review with a quick sentence about why you enjoy the show. It truly does help so, so much. And if you listen on Spotify, go ahead and rate the show there as well. All right, I will see you on Monday with a brand new full-length episode. I hope you all have a fantastic weekend. That's all I have for you today. With all that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.